Hello and welcome to a podcast about murder. I'm Freya and I'm here again with Jem to talk about murder. Are you ready to talk about murder again today, Jem? Uh, ready as I'll ever be. Good, good. Today's case is actually a suggestion that we received on Twitter late last year, I think in November when we were already running the when we were already running the last season. So I put it on the list for this season. The suggestion was from Nate Handel, Nate L. Watkins one on Twitter. So thanks, Nate, for the suggestion. Today, we're going to cover the case of Lorraine Thorpe and Paul Clark. This is a very savage crime. So be forewarned of that. This case involves the torture of a person. So some of the details of that might be a bit hard to hear, I guess. So I would bear that in mind. But there aren't too many details. I haven't included like anything outrageously detailed. In fact, I struggled to find the details on many aspects of this case. So I want to mention that in advance in case I've made any errors here. I've tried to be as accurate as I possibly could. I looked at everything I could find, but there was a little bit of a lack of some on information on Mm. some of the aspects. I think it's harder with like more recent cases as well to find. It's surprising how it sometimes is like harder with recent cases. And I don't know why that is because you'd think there'd be more coverage out there. Anyway. I want to get right into the story without giving too much away this time as I'm introducing it. So let's get right into the discovery of our crime and work back from there. We're going back to August 2009, specifically Tuesday, the 11th of August 2009. Not that I myself am a figure at all in this story, but I had just turned 14, I think, the previous day. (laughs) Just as a fun fact. 2009, not my favourite of the years I've experienced, I think. No, but I don't think 14's a good year on anyone's, in anyone's experience. Unless you, basically I can tell a lot about a person from whether they liked being 14 or not. (laughs) That day on August 11th, detectives put out a call for information as they publicly named two murder victims whose bodies had been discovered in their homes in Ipswich, southeast England, over the previous two days. Uh, Ipswich is kind of... I'd say it's reasonably far from London. It's in Suffolk, but it's in, it's on the east sort of side out towards the coastline. Rosalind Hunt, 41, had been found dead in her flat on Victoria Street, Ipswich, on Sunday, August 9th. Suffolk police stated that her cause of death was recorded as trauma to the body. Vague, but with enough suggestion as to a violent end. The following day, August 10th, Desmond Thorpe, 43, had also been found dead in his home in Limerick Close. In Desmond's case, the autopsy was inconclusive, said police, as to a cause of death. But in both cases, foul play was clear. Both had been the victims of extreme violence. In the media, headlines began to pick up with anticipatory energy, dead pair named in murder inquiry. Police confirmed that there had already been arrests made on August 10th, the very Monday that Desmond Thorpe had been discovered. They announced that they had detained a man of 41, and a girl, a girl of just 15, on suspicion of murder. A 27-year-old man had also been arrested in connection with the crimes. Witnesses were implored to come forward and report any tips to Suffolk police. Although the suspects remained unnamed at that time, it would later be revealed that Desmond's daughter, Lorraine Thorpe, was the 15-year-old girl suspected of his murder alongside 41-year-old Paul Clark. What's the link between the two victims? Or are we going to get into that later? I shall explain the link now. (laughs) (laughs) So who were Rosalind Hunt and Desmond Thorpe, the victims? Not too much detailed information abounds about their lives that I could find. Rosalind Hunt, also going by Rosie, 
was a mother of two, separated from her husband and living in a council house. Her and Desmond, known as Des, were both members of what's described as a street drinking community, which is not a term I've heard before, but in Ipswich, this was apparently a thing. They were basically alcoholics who associated with other heavy drinkers in a large social group, which included the man named Paul Clark, with whom Rosalind had been romantically linked. Rosalind's house was often used by the local drinkers as a hangout spot, with or without her permission, and she was often taken advantage of, particularly by Paul Clark. Okay, so not off to, like, a great start. No. Desmond's daughter, Lorraine, had originally been in her mother's custody after her parents split up, but for reasons that aren't entirely clear, I couldn't find details, she ended up in the care system for a short time instead. At the age of 12, Lorraine had reportedly run away from a children's home to reunite with her father. Although social services deny this happened, some authority obviously failed to keep track of her. She soon settled into her father's lifestyle. She found herself mostly a carer for her father, whose alcoholism had left him both generally incapacitated and frail. In fact, Desmond was said to be so debilitated by his years of alcoholism that he struggled to walk unaided. It's said that father and daughter had a relationship that was loving despite the circumstances. So this girl is uh, becoming a carer at the age of 12, which is obviously not ideal. Yeah, that can really take its toll on someone. Lorraine and her father lived in poor conditions, flats that would later be described as squalid, and they moved around quite frequently. They would sometimes sleep rough in tents. Lorraine began drinking alcohol with her father and his friends on the streets of Ipswich by the time she was 15. Most of her time, in fact, was spent hanging out with her father's social circle of middle-aged alcoholics, and she stopped going to school. Violence was normalised within this group, as the intoxicated members physically fought one another and often stole to finance their drinking habits. It is crazy to me that, at this point, no one is keeping track of this 15-year-old girl. Mm. No one seems, like, concerned at all. Yeah, it will come up later how how bizarre it is that she just seemed to fall off the radar completely of any kind of authority. <laughs> Through the street drinkers, uh, the Thorpes became acquainted with Paul Clark. For a time, they lived at his flat. It was said that Lorraine was keen to impress Paul, who was a dominant member of the group, but he was also described as a bully and aggressive. He became a role model to her, offering a sense of protection and outward strength that she was now missing from her ill father. Although it's unclear if there was actually any romantic or sexual relationship between Paul and Lorraine, at the very least, Lorraine was infatuated with the older man. There were rumours that they were having sex, but I wasn't able to find anything that confirms that one way or the other. But personally, I believe there was something going on there that shouldn't have been going on. But I don't know that. Yeah, it doesn't seem that far out of the realm of, like, possibility. Yeah. I mean, this is a vulnerable girl who's... This is a vulnerable girl and this is a weird guy. Yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) that's one plus one equals two, I think. On the 4th of August 2009, a fight apparently broke out over a dog between Rosalind Hunt and Lorraine and Paul. There are two slightly conflicting but possibly able to coexist reasons out there for this fight. Mm. One, Paul was angrily accusing Rosalind of hitting his dog. And two, Paul apparently blamed Rosalind for his dog attacking a child. Now, I don't understand how that comes to be her fault, but if you stitch those two things together... I can see a certain narrative emerging 
Maybe the dog attacks a child and Paul is claiming Rosalind hit the dog, which caused it to become out of control and hit and bite the child. Or the dog attacks a child and then she hits the dog in retaliation yeah. and he doesn't like that. Yeah. So I'm not sure which is which, you know, I'm not sure what happened, but that's something along those lines. <laughs> the fight was over the dog, essentially. <laughs> in any case, this was a heated row. And Paul and Lorraine began beating Rosalind, stomping on her head, oh my God. kicking her and punching her. Jesus Christ. It seems, seems it like really a... It really took a turn very fast. That's an escalation, for sure. Yeah. But it didn't end there. Lorraine and Paul held Rosalind captive for at least two days, carrying out torture, including having her hair set on fire with lighters, whipping her with a dog chain, and even grating the woman's face with a cheese grater. Oh my God. Salt was rubbed in Rosalind's open wounds. These were not only acts of extreme violence, but they were obviously aimed at increasing amounts of pain and suffering. Eventually, Rosalind died of her injuries after a few days. That is just... I I don't even know how to respond to that. There's something about a prolonged attack that is just so much worse, you know? Mm-hmm. But there was a loose end. It's believed that Desmond overheard Lorraine and Paul discussing Rosalind's murder, and he threatened to report the killing to police. With the pair worried that he would make good on the threat, on the 10th of August he was smothered to death with a cushion, but not before he too had received a savage beating from Paul and Lorraine. So are they all living together? Or is are they just hanging around? Like, I don't... So Lorraine and... Lorraine and Desmond had lived with Paul for a time, but the idea is that this community is very much like, they're not very secure people. They're sort of roaming between properties in the general area, sleeping rough, sleeping in these council places sometimes. And then it's, it's not very clear, you know, where they are at various times, but they're part of this sort of community. Yeah. Clearly, no attempt was made to conceal the bodies, and both were discovered. As said in the opening of the episode, the day after Desmond's murder, when a worried neighbour of Rosalind's noticed she was missing and called the police. Post-mortem examination found that Rosalind's cause of death was a heavy blow to the area of her upper chest and neck. She had numerous injuries, including nine broken ribs. While Desmond's took a little longer to work out, the examination eventually led the pathologist to conclude that the cause of death was smothering. And I found this morbidly interesting. This was because they found cuts on his upper lip from his own teeth. So from the inside. So I guess if you were smothering someone, putting a lot of pressure on their mouth, their teeth might cut the... I mean, it makes it very savage when you hear that. Sometimes you think of smothering, this sounds weird, but sometimes you think of smothering as almost less violent than other things. Yeah. But when you hear that, that some, you know, pushed so hard, you've got cuts on the inside of your mouth, that really brings it home that that is extremely violent. Yeah. No, that's awful. Besides that, he also had many injuries to his body caused by being beaten, including a faint mark on his forehead. It was thought that this could have been the imprint of the bottom of a shoe. God. Okay. Lorraine was at first discounted as a suspect because police thought she couldn't possibly have been part of crimes that were so horrendously violent. But as time went on, Lorraine began bragging to friends about the murders, including the details of how she'd participated in the torture of both victims. This presumably eventually led to her arrest, although there's a bit of a gap in available information here that I could find. The Mm. leap between 
her not being suspected to being arrested. DCI Rick Munns, the investigating officer who worked on the case, remembers Lorraine's demeanour during her first interview with police. He said, she didn't show any particular remorse. Later in August, Lorraine and Paul were both charged. At the time, Lorraine had still not been publicly named due to her age. The trial took place at Ipswich Crown Court in August 2010, one year on from the brutal crimes. Both Lorraine Thorpe and Paul Clark denied that they had committed both crimes. This despite the reports of Lorraine boasting to officers, you'll find my footprint on my dad, which could be corroborated with the post-mortem, of course, along with the many reported incidents of her bragging to other people. I was going to say, it's kind of like, I don't know, I guess these are just people who aren't thinking any of this through. Uh, yeah, it's hard sure. to tell to what extent they thought they were going to get away with it or planned on getting away with it. It, it seems... I don't, it kind of is almost like, well, they didn't even make any effort to get rid of the, these bodies. It's kind of bizarre. It's like, I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't. But I guess it's just, you, they just sort of exist in a different plane of reality. Almost. I think, I think you're right. They kind of live just day to day. And they don't really think about things like this. Jurors heard evidence, including testimony from a friend of Lorraine's who claimed Lorraine had confessed to the crimes. Evidence was also given by a prison padre who said that Lorraine told him about the killing while she awaited trial in prison, becoming reflective on the day of her father's birthday. This is pretty funny. So I read this and I was like, what is a prison padre? (laughs) I assumed assumed it's a priest who goes to prisons to talk to inmates because that kind of makes sense. Hmm. Padre, father. Yeah, but why has he got a groovy little... I can only be partially sure that I'm right because when I googled it literally the only thing that came up was stuff about a racehorse who happens to be called prison padre no joke (laughs) surreal bizarre stuff this horse was talking to her in prison (laughs) (laughs) so bizarre I was really it was really surreal when I looked that up and nothing came up about the phrase at all but That's this so weird. But it was something you came across like repeatedly. Yeah, this thing like the prison padre talking to her and giving evidence was the thing. So it must be a thing. But I just I don't That's know. That's so bizarre. <laughs> if anyone knows more details about prison padres, please do let me know. <laughs> <laughs> Lorraine did not give evidence during their trial, but Paul took the stand to state that while he admitted kicking Rosalind on the day of her death, he didn't think he had killed her. He blamed Lorraine. He denied entirely that he had been involved in Desmond Thorpe's murder, calling him a friend. And I think that's outrageous (laughs) to stand on the stand and be like, he's my mate when, I mean, we know that you could, I mean, it's, I don't know, just seems horrendous um, to claim him as a friend. And I'm sure any family that Desmond had that were in present would have been shocked. Yeah. Lorraine displayed no remorse during the trial and could be seen to giggle during court proceedings. Rosalind Hunt's brother described in a later documentary his anguish at seeing her laughing in the dock with Paul Clark. Quote, As if it was all a big, big joke. I felt like I wanted to jump over and just rip her head off. And I I can't blame him for that <laughs> feeling. Yeah. But it is also very unnerving, I think, that she just has no... It seems like she just has no idea what's really going on. Going on. Yeah. Or like the the severity of it. It's very bizarre. Over the course of the trial, debate raged about Lorraine's level of involvement in the murders and whether or not she was the driving force behind the violence. The judge, Mr. Justice Saunders, 
described Lorraine as an enthusiastic participant in the murders, at least partially. He did not believe, based on what he had heard, that Lorraine was completely under the control of Paul Clark. He said, quote, She found violence funny and entertaining. Far from being sorry, Lorraine appears to have gloried in it, describing to her friends at one stage how she stamped on Rosalind's head. However, while he noted that Lorraine, quote, played a full part, he acknowledged that Paul was the instigator in the torture and murder of Rosalind Hunt. He also stated that he believed Lorraine to have been brought up with no real understanding of what is right and what is wrong. He said, To describe her upbringing as not being a proper upbringing would be an understatement, but it has left her as a violent young woman and highly manipulative as well. Interesting to call her manipulative. Interesting to call her manipulative and also say Paul Clark was the instigator. Yeah. Because those things seem, I don't know. Lorraine was diagnosed with ADHD. Um, well, she'd already had ADHD, to be clear. She wasn't diagnosed right. during the trial. Okay. But otherwise, she wasn't found to have any other contributing mental health conditions. She did have medication that she was meant to take for ADHD that she had stopped taking um, when she had joined her father and started drinking. Right. Combined with excessive drinking, this could have led to symptoms such as impulsivity, being unable to control emotions, and increased aggression, which could potentially have contributed to Lorraine's willingness to participate in the crimes. That's just a a thought. That seems totally plausible. Ultimately, Lorraine, by then 16, was found guilty of murdering her father and of murdering Rosalind Hunt. At 15 at the time of the crimes, she is the youngest female killer to be convicted of a double murder, at least in the UK. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Paul Clark was also convicted for the murders. The jury had deliberated for about 17 hours and voted to convict 10 votes to 2. At sentencing that September, Paul Clark was jailed for life. That's a minimum of 27 years in the UK. While Lorraine also faced a life sentence, but with the possibility of parole after 14 years. It was also decided that it was in the public interest to name her. So that's her name became public knowledge. I'm trying to... I was wondering what the... I don't know. At what point you decide to make that public knowledge and what reason you have for it if you've previously been keeping it hidden. It is interesting because it is at that uh, sort of line, isn't it, 16? Yeah. Where you would think, yeah, maybe it is in the public's interest to know and you had uh, definitely got a level of control over what you're doing yeah by then now i bet you're thinking and you might not be you might not be (laughs) what happened to the 27 year old man arrested at the beginning of the case yeah what happened to the 27 year old man arrested at the beginning of the case (laughs) he was the third defendant at trial but he was acquitted by the jury his name is john grimwood and the interesting thing here is that just a year after he was cleared cleared and released he killed his girlfriend and he stabbed a second woman who survived. Jesus. So that does throw up some big questions about this guy. Yeah. <laughs> DCI Rick Munns, who we mentioned earlier, has said that although he believes Paul and Lorraine responsible for killing Rosalind, he's sure others were involved. Hmm. Quote, We know from evidence that we obtained from witnesses that the group in and around Rosalind's flat would have consisted, obviously, of Rosalind, Paul Clark, Lorraine Thorpe, Des Thorpe, Lorraine's father, and very often a man called John Grimwood. Right. He was certainly present in and around the two addresses, and at various times over the days running up to when we believe Rosalind was killed. Some of the witnesses certainly gave evidence of him committing physical assaults against Rosalind at that time. So 
it seems like they were all just abusing this woman. Yeah, basically. Which is pretty horrible. So it's not a stretch to say that he well, was involved. The fact that he was... I don't find it hard to believe that there's a history of violence and he's often hanging around there anyway, so it doesn't seem unlikely that he would have somehow been involved. Lawyers for the two defendants didn't dispute the guilty verdict for the killing of Rosalind, and I think that's because there was a lot of... I don't know about... There must have been some some DNA evidence, although I didn't find any any mm. details of it, but most of this was like witness type stuff, like them literally t- just telling people or people overhearing stuff because of this community being... Yeah. But the lawyers did lodge appeals against the conviction for the murder of Desmond Thorpe, stating that it was an unsafe conviction. I hadn't come across this term before, but t- essentially mm. it means that they're claiming that the prosecution didn't prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt or that there were procedural mm. errors in the trial. They're not actually saying their client is innocent. Right. They're not claiming that there's been a miscarriage of justice, which is a totally different term. Okay. They're simply saying they didn't get a fair trial due to one or more technicalities. And because of that, the conviction should be overturned. I think in this case, they were claiming that evidence was included that should have been deemed inadmissible. And much of that was people saying Lorraine said things, which is hearsay. I do, But in any case, these appeals were denied. And I think that's because of the many different people that came forward to say that as opposed to just yeah. it being one person saying she said something there was lots and lots of witnesses mm. forensic psychiatrist kerry nixon has had her thoughts on the case published in several articles kerry believes that lorraine was groomed by paul clark and that her childhood and a lack of involvement from social care services had contributed to lorraine's choices quote i start to feel complete empathy for the girl that was let down by society and professionals No girl should be living with her alcoholic father from the age of 12. She was lost. She went from her mother to foster care and then she ran away to be with her father. And eventually social services lost her. She was living on the streets, drinking with alcoholic men. That shouldn't happen in our society. I believe she was groomed by Paul Clark and living a life that no teenager should be living. We look at the level of violence she enacted on Rosalind Hunt. It was so extreme, so vicious. And that's where it's difficult to look at the vulnerable girl. But would those murders have taken place if she wasn't part of that drinking community and if she hadn't met Paul Clark? No, I don't believe they would have done. Mm. However, she admitted the ferocity of the crimes was extreme, saying, She laughed about the level of violence they used against Rosalind Hunt. In my experience, I've never seen this level of violence, these types of injuries, enacted by a 15-year-old girl. Usually, in cases like this, they will partake in some violence, but to be actively involved in such torturous activity is incredibly rare. The level of violence Thorpe used, the level of hatred she enacted on defenceless Rosalind Hunt and her own father, Des Thorpe, was senseless and unforgivable. I think most of those quotes have a lot of truth to them. Mm. We can compare Lorraine's circumstance in some ways to Mary Bell from episode one. Yeah, definitely. As well as maybe to a few other cases in the sense that, and, and you'll find that when you look up an article about Lorraine Thorpe, at the end it will often say, the youngest killer is Mary Bell, sentenced that low. So it, it, the connection is clear, yeah. in the media at least. Yeah. In the sense that you have this young person clearly without a secure family and home life, without guidance, and searching for a sense of control over their lives. But in Lorraine's case, I think she's be. I do think she's being led in some ways. 
And Mary mm. certainly was not being <laughs> led. But there are similarities there with the chaotic nature of their lives. Yeah. One interesting thing for me with this case is how the media focused on Lorraine as the murderer, but not so much Paul, as if her involvement was more important when he's the 41-year-old man and she's the child. <laughs> so yeah. I'm not discounting that she actively played a role in the murders and I'm not excusing it, but I think what Ker Dr. Kerry Nixon says about Lorraine being groomed is absolutely true. And when she says that if Lorraine hadn't met Paul Clark, she wouldn't have done this, I think that's true as well. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, I get that the sensational aspect of this teenage girl committing these horrific crimes is like what you would focus on but at the same time there is this other guy who's very much involved in these crimes and is feeding her these sort of ideas and encouraging her to do these things yeah and so i do think that when it's written in the media and if you look this up you'll see this written in the media as lorraine thorpe along with her accomplice and That's the crazy strange. thing is sometimes he isn't even named in articles about her and I do think that's a bit unfair actually because <laughs> it's well, a bit bizarre yeah I do know why it is though because it's like you said it's more headline worthy it's more attention grabbing to say 15 year old kills dad with accomplice that's that's crazy you know that's interesting but I think that's wrong and I do think it's not fairly representing the story actually yeah. the sentences that they were given reflect the story yeah you have Paul with a, Paul with a life sentence of 27 years and Lorraine receiving 14. You have the judge stating Paul is the instigator. So so the, the facts of the case and the judgments in the case are the real story, I think. And I think Kerry's point is worth returning to that we need to question, like you said earlier, how this child was out in the world drinking on the streets with her dad, mm. who was not a suitable caregiver. Yeah. That shouldn't happen and it isn't any kind of life for any kid. So that aspect, along with the grooming angle, does elicit a certain amount of sympathy or empathy. On the other hand, both of these victims are extremely vulnerable people suffering from alcoholism, not able to defend themselves according to the physical mm -hmm. evidence. It's a sick thing to do to anyone, but I have a, I have a huge amount of empathy for Rosalind and Des. What happened to them is unbelievable. No, it's just absolutely shocking the thing i really don't understand and makes me wonder more about paul clark's hold over lorraine is that it said lorraine loved her dad a lot well that's that the came thing up a few times she moved she ran away to be with him yeah she cared she she became a ca his carer you don't do that if you're yeah, like but at the same time i think putting that like uh actually saying the word carer made me think of this is that at the age of 12, 13, being someone's carer, I think is a sort of, you have a lot of mixed emotions about that because you do love this person and you want to take care of them. But at the same time, you are aware that it's an unfair situation to be in and there's maybe some resentment there. Yeah, you're you're totally right, actually. It's true that that, that maybe maybe that does offer some clue as to how, how, an, how anger could build up over time. But still, yeah. the level of violence yeah, that's what's that, so, that she carried yeah. out on him you know it seems very bizarre to me that she would do this but I guess I, I don't know the whole thing is just really really sad Brian Tobin a man who created a charity in an attempt to support those falling victim to street drinking culture in Ipswich knew Desmond and he says of him 
Des was a chronic alcoholic. I met him on a handful of occasions, used to give him a cigarette or have a chat with him. He was a likeable enough guy. I think he was more harmful to himself than anyone else. In terms of street drinking hierarchy, he was near the bottom. He was very vulnerable and very apt at being bullied by others on the streets. So it just gives you an idea of what kind of person Des was, mm. a vulnerable person. On Lorraine, he said, Lorraine was never given the opportunity to have a childhood. She became Des's carer at a very, very young age. Brian described Paul Clark as, quote, a very dangerous individual. And he also said he believed Lorraine was under his spell. So that's interesting from someone who knew yeah. the situation a bit closer. I mean, unless you could prove that Paul was in some way vulnerable or susceptible to uh, manipulation, there's just no way the dynamic between a 15-year-old girl and like a 40-year-old man is going to be one where she's the ringleader. Definitely. And then you couple that with the with all the evidence people are given saying that he was a dominant figure in the group, that he was aggressive, that he was, um, that he controlled people, that he took advantage of people easily. Yeah. That just, it all fits in with him being more of the ringleader, I think. On the 1st of September, 2014, Paul Clark was found unconscious in his cell at Whitemore Prison and he could not be revived. He was pronounced dead shortly before 6.30 a.m., an investigation was launched after it was reported that a ligature was found around his neck. This obviously implying that he committed suicide. Mm. But I actually searched for confirmation of that, of the result of the investigation and found nothing. So that was a bit strange, but mm. I assume he committed suicide. Right. Lorraine Thorpe remains jailed for life. She will be able to apply for parole in 14 years after the date of her conviction. So that date will be 2024, if I'm not mistaken. 14 years from 2010 when she was convicted. She will be 29 years old by then. And as we sort of touched on earlier, I was I was interested in whether or not she would be able to get a new identity if she's released in future. Mm. I'm not sure, as obviously her identity was yeah. revealed when she was 16. But she committed the crimes as a 15-year-old, so I'm not sure how that works. It would be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, that's true. So that's it. <laughs> <laughs> So that's it for this episode of a podcast about murder. I would be interested to hear what people think about this case and either of the other cases so far this season. If you do want to drop us a comment or a message, please go ahead and follow us on social media. We are at About Murder on Twitter, at A Podcast About Murder on Instagram and Facebook.com slash A Podcast About Murder with no E. You can also search for us on YouTube. Help us out by subscribing and liking things. And don't forget to leave this podcast a rating wherever you listen, but only leave a rating if you liked it. If you didn't like it, <laughs> let's just part ways amicably <laughs> and without incident. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend. Yeah. Have a good one. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>